0: eve services some of you have been in church a long time as a kid some of those are great some of those uh, like mine remind me of getting flicked in the ear a lot you know during christmas eve services because that's the kind of kid i was so i don't know what your memories are but there's probably lots of them as kids right you guys are looking for anybody here looking forward to tomorrow how many come on yeah yeah I, I feel like you're lacking enthusiasm guys some of you must be worried a little worried Coal sticks tomorrow, maybe? Yeah? Yeah? I mean, probably some of you don't even know what Colin sticks are. My mom actually got coal and sticks as a kid once. Can you believe that? She tells a story with great enthusiasm, and we all laugh hysterically. But one of our greatest memories is the memory of this story, the story of Jesus, the story of this infant, the nativity scene, the manger, you know? All those animals, the shepherds, the angels singing. I mean, Linus tells it great, doesn't he, when he tells the Christmas story? And we remember that story. And, and so much of it, that story is the foundation of the faith of Christianity. I mean, what Christians believe at Christmas, this story is, it makes the most audish, audacious claim of the Christian faith, that God would become one of us, just like you and me. And he would actually downsize himself Into a baby. That's crazy. The God that created the universe would downsize himself, would become human flesh, born as an infant. Who does that? Who would want to go back to that? Like, even as you've grown older, like to go back to that stage, to be helpless, to have this couple engaged in that story. Now, the reason that as Christians we believe this isn't because we ran out of like, normal things to believe or we just felt like Santa's story, like we had to one-up it somehow. Like The reason we believe this is actually because there are eyewitnesses that actually claim, I saw him, I knew him, and I believed him to be God. I believe that Jesus Christ, born as an infant, growing up as a relatively unknown carpenter, becoming a miracle man and a rabbi, allowing himself to die in the most humiliating way possible, to be crucified on a cross, and then predicting his death and resurrection and pulling it off. Like, this is the life of Christ. And the people who watched it said it was real. It's the real deal. This is who he is. And so this whole month, we've spent, time as a family, as a spiritual family discussing, like, why would God do that? Why in the world, like, why would he come as an infant and live as one of us? This makes no sense. Why would he do that? And we've come up with a few reasons. One is that he came to introduce us to a father, to a father who loves us. Because for most of us, when we think of God, we're like, eh, you know, I don't know, God might be really mad at me. But Jesus came to introduce us to a father. To say, listen, I came because no one ever saw God, but I have a relationship with God. And so I wanted to come and introduce you to God. And Jesus didn't just say that he had the best explanation of God. He said he was the best explanation of God. He said, I am God in the flesh. Here to introduce you to a God who you thought was mad at you and isn't. Who you thought was withholding from you, but he's not. And it's easy for circumstances in our life to teach us otherwise. Things go wrong in our life and outside our expectations, we think God must not be answering my our prayers. God must not be for me. And Jesus said, I came to prove to you that you can't trust your circumstances. And so I came, I came to help you understand the God who actually is. I came to help you know a father who loves you. In fact, he teaches us to pray. When, it, when asked, how do we pray? You know what Jesus said? He said, start your prayer this way, our father. Another place he said, call him Abba, Daddy, to know a loving father. And other times we said, you know, we, we look at Jesus' life and you look all through Jesus' career, you know, I mean, what's natural in humanity is to bully people that aren't like you. Is the most, the most powerful person wins. That's what's natural. I mean, in our country we celebrate otherwise, but all around the world, what happens? The person with the most power bullies the person without. And they look down on them. And Jesus came and he broke all the rules. Everyone who was looked down upon, when he told a story, do you know what he did? He made them the hero. When the, when the children were kept off from him, he said, no, let the children come to me. And in the first century, kids, it wasn't just that kids weren't supposed to be, were supposed to be seen and not heard. Like mom and dad were like, shh, don't, don't make that noise right now. We're in church. It wasn't like that. It was like kids shouldn't be seen or heard. Like kids aren't even people. That's how people felt about it. And Jesus said, no, kids are important. They're important to my kingdom. They're important to my heart. They're important to the heart of God. And so he was always raising the dignity of others. That's what he came to do, to raise our dignity, to say God thinks much more of you than you think of yourself. And so Jesus came and he raised the dignity of others. And then he came to teach us to put relationship before religion. This is what he came to do. He came to say, listen, I want you to learn how to put relationship before Before religion, because we all know that when religion comes first, right, people get hurt. Over the years, people have done all kinds of things in the name of religion holy wars and killing and child sacrifice, all kinds of crazy stuff in the name of religion because people didn't come first. And Jesus came, Listen, I came to change all of that. I came to help you understand that I didn't create the rules and then go, Oh, I got all these great rules. I should probably create some people to follow the rules. No. He says, I I created people and I went, Want to give them the best way to live. The whole rule thing is just about God saying, listen, I'm not going to give you a guideline that can teach you how to have the very best life possible, but that people come first, that people have always been on the mind of God. In fact, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest rule of all time? He said, listen, you want to know what the greatest rule is of all the other rules? You want to the greatest one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. And he said, it actually has two parts. The second part is this, love your neighbor as yourself. He went on to say that every other rule that you read in the Bible, every other thing that you read about religion is all based and all comes back to this. And so if you read it and you take it in and it says anything else to you, it's wrong. You're, You're seeing it wrong because this is what God is about, loving you and helping you love others, teaching you how to live that life. But it still comes down to one question for us. This day. This Christmas Eve, we celebrate Jesus coming to a manger and it helps us ask this question, why did he come? What was his destination? Why in the world did Jesus come? Where did he come? Why did, what did he come to do? I mean, was his destination a manger? Was that his destination? Just to be born in a manger. Was his destination a cross? You know, the ultimate destination of Jesus. Was it the cross? To die on the cross? To, to grant? forgiveness to people? Was his ultimate destination a tomb, or rather maybe an empty tomb, when he predicted his resurrection and then pulled it off like no one else ever has? Was that his destination? Or maybe you might say, well, no, his destination is heaven's throne, like to become king, to rule in a righteous, peaceful way. That was his ultimate destination. But I want to show you tonight as we celebrate Christmas Eve that I think his ultimate destination was different than all those things. In fact, in Matthew 1, the Matthew, one of Jesus' followers, actually quotes a prophecy that was given 800 or so years earlier. And this is what it says. It says, look, a virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us in the flesh. You know, in the... In the first century, Jewish people would have never imagined that God would come as an infant. it almost offensive to them to even think that a holy God could inhabit human flesh. Like That was crazy to them. They come as a king, come to rule, yes, but come and live among us? And so it begs the question again, why? What was his destination? Where was Jesus headed? Not to a manger, not even to a cross or a tomb. Not even to heaven's throne. Here's what, I, here's what I believe that Jesus is headed to. His ultimate destination was you. And that was Jesus' ultimate destination and always has been, was to you. and You, and you, and you, and me. That's Jesus' ultimate destination. He came to rescue us. Back in John 3.17, one of, of Jesus' followers, he says, listen. In John 3.17, he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. God didn't come to condemn the world. Now, most of us think that's that's exactly what God's doing. He's he's condemning us. He's always got his finger pointed at you. But, But John says, no, no, no. According to Jesus, he didn't come to condemn you. He came to rescue you. Now, when it comes to condemnation, let's probably for most of us, we just admit that we do a pretty good job of condemning ourselves. We don't really need God to do it too. I mean, when asked, For most people, when asked, what do you think that God thinks of you? You know what they'd say? I think he's disappointed. I think he's disappointed. Maybe even I think he's probably mad. I think he's probably far away. Most people have no idea that Jesus came, that God came, God with us, Emmanuel, to rescue you. That he has been on a rescue mission all along. And it's no wonder that You know, as people, we drift away from church, drift away from God. Because if that's how we think of God, with that pointy finger, with those arms crossed, is it any wonder we would want to avoid him and avoid places that remind us of that image? Is there any reason that we wouldn't run from it? I don't don't blame you at all. That's your story. But I I do want to tell you this. Jesus came to change that story. Now, for most of us, we we look in the mirror and, you know, maybe you've done this before. You've looked at the mirror and you went, I wish I wasn't. I wish I hadn't. You've done something wrong and you just keep replaying it in your head like it's stuck and it's just, the audio track just keeps going over and over and over of what you've done wrong and you think, that's irredeemable. It's unforgivable and you just feel like you're condemned. And most of us think that when it comes to Jesus' rescue mission, when his ultimate destination is you, you think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that before, Sean, that it's ultimate, yeah, that Jesus came for me. I think Jesus came for somebody, but I don't know that he came for me. And I don't know that he would actually think of me and come for me. I'm probably the exception to the rule. When we think of God's standards, that's because I think most of us think Listen, I, I've read about God. I have an idea of God. He's pretty holy, and I'm pretty sure down deep, I don't measure up. I don't measure up to those standards. He's so holy. He's so far away. I'm pretty sure I'm just going to miss the mark. You know, that's actually the definition of sin, to miss the mark. To miss the mark that God has for us, the very best that God has for us. And we agree with it. Somewhere down inside of us, most of us agree with that that we've missed the mark. It doesn't take long to discover that in your life, whether you're a kid and you're like, yeah, I've let my mom and dad down a lot, or whether you're an adult, right? You've, maybe you have kids and you're like, i let my kids down a lot. You know, I come from a family of, of uh, I would say a family of yellers. That's, that's kind of my men history. You know, my dad was a yeller. His dad was a yeller. It's what they did, and so... Um, as I've raised my kids, I've really worked hard on, like, this image of, like, I want to be a father that they can know as a good father, a father like I've discovered through Jesus that loves me. I, I want them to know that. But I got to tell you, kids, you're really good at pushing mom and dad's buttons, and you get, like, 18 years to figure it out, right? So by the, now my kids are 17, and they know all the right things to say and how to push my butt. I mean, they've, been, they've become experts in it. And, so, and they kind of giggle when I yell now. That's the, really the worst part. They get me all worked up, and then they kind of be like, Dad, you know you're just being ridiculous right now. Like, I can't even take you seriously. You're yelling so much, right? So, so here's the thing, though. When I think of myself and I look in the mirror, do you know how often I've gone, I wanted to be a better dad? Why can't I be a better dad? I felt that thing that we all feel when we miss the mark. We feel like, I don't know, it's hard to admit it, but we feel like uh, kind of taken hostage by that thing that we do, those shortcomings. Some of us feel like we're buried in shame, like there's just some things in our life we are buried by shame. We don't want anyone to know that about us. We, just to think about it just makes us feel a cringe. if you've ever felt that kind of taken hostage thing, you know what it's like to feel condemned. Now let me ask you this. If you were God, why would you come as an infant? Why would you come and live among us if you just wanted to condemn us? Why would you do that? I mean, if you're just going to condemn us, why be born? Why, why, why in heaven when you're having this discussion, why you send your son? Why, why does the son volunteer and say, I'll go? Why do that if you're just angry? Why? Because his ultimate mission was never to condemn you. So your sin already does that. And you do a pretty good job of that yourself. Looking in the mirror, condemning yourself. Agreeing with your sin. But Jesus came to show you a new way. Jesus came to show you how you can look in the mirror and say, I'm forgiven. I'm restored. I'm his creation. And he adores me. This is why Jesus came. In fact, in Mark 10, another one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus, he said he quotes Jesus, and this is what he says. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, The Son of Man, Jesus himself, didn't come to be served by you, to have you do things that are good to try to work your way to him. The Son of Man didn't come for you to keep trying to be good enough that God might love you, that you might earn it, that you might not have to feel condemned. The Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know what a ransom is? A ransom is a price you pay to rescue someone you love, whose life has been stolen, or held hostage or kept from the life that is meant to be lived. and That's what Jesus came to do, to pay the ransom so that you could be restored to your father. Jesus came to set you free, that you might not be held hostage by those things anymore. So why did Jesus become one of us? You see, Jesus became one of us so that he might rescue you. An all-out search and rescue mission. You know, this past week I was watching football, and... Uh, at the end of football, you know that little thing that comes on TV? goes tick, 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 tick. tick. It's, it's the CBS 60 Minutes thing. It means the football's almost over for the day. I don't know if you knew that. That's actually what it means. And so the 60 Minutes thing comes on, and, and the story that comes on on 60 Minutes is the story of Aleppo, Syria. Now, some of you maybe recognize the name Aleppo, Syria. Aleppo is, rec- is in the northern section of Syria, and uh, Syria has been in civil war for years. I mean it is a terrible I mean just terrible things happen in Syria all the time and specifically in Aleppo people's homes are being bombed you know almost up to 35 times a day bombs are dropped on Aleppo Syria this has happened for years in Aleppo Syria but there's these people in Syria and in the midst of it in the midst of this intense bombing you know the government helicopters fly in because they want they want people to leave and so they just they just fly in and they just, you just see them like pushing bombs out. Have you ever seen those scenes in America where they, they blow up a building and it just kind of comes down? Except the buildings here blow up and there are people inside them, families who are living there. And at that instant, at that, you hear the bomb and all of a sudden darkness and you are buried in concrete and rebar and shards of glass and it is just on top of you and you cannot move cannot cry out. This is Aleppo, Syria. And if you lived in Aleppo, Le- Syria, there would be places where you would be like, you lose your mom, you lose your dad, you lose your brother, you'd lose your sister. And you'd think there's no hope. But in Aleppo, Syria, there's these people, just regular people. And they've self-named themselves the White Helmets. And you can see the White Helmets among, among the carnage and among the, all the rubble when the bombs are being dropped, in the midst of while they're still dropped, the white helmets are there, and they are digging through the rubble. They are listening for cries, and they are shining their lights, and they're saying, can you see my light? And they're digging, and they're pulling people out. And the government even targets them because they hate the rescuing people. And yet they lay their life all the time on the line. 154 of them have lost their lives in digging people out in the last two years. And yet 70,000 men, women, and children have been rescued by the White Helmets. It's courageous work. About two years ago, there was one man, one White Helmet, who was, came upon a mother, distraught and weeping, crying out for her infant. And she was so distraught because she had already lost her husband and her eldest son. Just before. The bomb had been dropped. She couldn't find him in the rubble. So one of the white helmets begins to dig and dig. And hears these cries, and he's digging through for 16 hours by hand. He is digging and carefully moving the rubble until he comes across this infant buried in the rubble in the dark heaps on top of them. And he pulls this infant. And when, when asked, one of the reporters asked one of the white helmets, why do you do this? Why do you risk your life for strangers that you don't know? And you know what they said? They said, because it feels like as if we were bringing them back to life again. It feels as though when we pull them out that we're bringing back to life again. And as that white helmet carried that infant back to his mother, and saw the joy in her eyes, and as she wept tears of joy, this is how the reporter described the moment. He said it was if that child had been born into the world again, and the mother had experienced the same joy again. That's what Jesus did for you. In the midst of the rubble in your life, and the disappointment, and the places where you feel like there is darkness, and disappointment, and you feel like, man, I don't know what to do. And there's places, even on holidays, where you maybe feel like, feel lost. Jesus says, I came to rescue you. I came to let you know that you're not on your own. I came to dig through the rubble of shame and set you free and tell you that God's not pointing his finger at you. He wants you to live the life, the best life possible. I came to let you know. That in the darkness, when you feel most alone, you're not alone. I came to let you know, I'm going to shine the light and say, can you hear me? Can you see me? I'm here. Listen, Jesus came and he gave his life that we might have life. He came, became one of us because he wanted us to know that there is a good, good father who loves you, who wants you to spend eternity with him, who wants you to know that his arms are not crossed. They are open, saying, will you come home? Will you come to know me? I came as Christ that you might know that I love you. And so this morning, this morning, this Christmas Eve, it's hard when you're a pastor. (laughs) This Christmas Eve, I want to challenge you to consider something. Do you know that for sure? Do you know that God is a good, good Father? I mean, I'm not, I'm not asking you if someone told you that. I'm not asking you that you know that the Bible says that. I'm not asking you even to know it as though I said it. I'm asking you, what's your heart say? How do you feel that the Father feels about you? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he gave everything that you could have the life he always dreamed of. Do you know that he wants you to spend eternity with him? Do you know that on Christmas, that, that's what we celebrate? That's worth we're celebrating. So I'm just going to give you a moment now. And um, you got a program guide when you came in. There's a little response card in there. Can everybody just pull that out for a second? Just pull out that response card. Because I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity. I want to let you know what, every week at daybreak, we pull these out because we want to pray for you. If there's anything that we can pray for, you write it down, we will pray for you. Is any way we can help you? We'll do that. But here's, here's what I really challenge to you. I want to challenge you one of three responses tonight, and I want you to consider that response as you write it on your write it on your card. One is celebrate. Some of you tonight, you know this is the purpose of Christmas Eve. You know that Christmas is about the greatest rescue mission ever. That God loves you and He's rescued you, and you know that you need to celebrate that. You say, God, you are a good good Father. Sometimes I miss that. I don't want to know that. And you just, just write celebrate on there, and as you write celebrate tonight, write it slowly and remember how he's rescued you. Some of you, some of you, it's been a long time since you've been in church, and you just want to write, maybe tonight, seek on that card. Because you're not convinced yet that God is the good, good father that we're talking about tonight, but maybe tonight you went, Listen, Jesus is this guy that has come to prove all this. If God really went to this measure to meet me, to rescue me, I want to know more about it. And so you just write seek on your card. Maybe tonight that response as you write seek is just for you to say, God, tonight I want to seek you, Jesus. Will you make yourself real to me? If you're real, will you make yourself real to me? And for some of you, you might be ready. You might say, you know what? I don't really know for sure if I died, I would go to heaven. I don't know for sure that there is a good, good father who's welcomed me. I feel condemned more often than I feel free. But tonight, you just want to be done with that. It's time to be free. It's time to let Jesus rescue you, dig you out of the rubble of shame, set you free from the darkness. Tonight, just write commit. And as you write commit, here's what I want you to process. What you're committing to is this. You're committing to surrender yourself to Jesus' love. You're committing yourself to say, God, I'm surrendering myself to come to know you. I'm Surrendering to your forgiveness. I'm surrendering to your way. I want to follow you. I want your leadership in my life. And I want to know for certain that you have made peace between me and the Father and that he loves me. And it's an easy thing to do. You just got to say it in your heart, and it changes everything. So this morning, this evening, this Christmas Eve, I want you to take a minute to consider that, to write that word, to celebrate that. I'm going to pray over you, and then we're going, to, we're going to sing about a good, good father who did everything that you might know him to prove to you, to help you know that you have always been his ultimate destination. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for one of the greatest holidays of all time because it's a day that we celebrate that you became one of us. To show us, to demonstrate for us that there is a Father in heaven who is not mad at us or withholding from us, but is a good, good Father. So thank you for sending your Son Jesus thank you for volunteering saying I'll go I'll go I'll rescue I will dig them out I will pay the ransom Tonight Tonight once again I say thank you Jesus Thank you for the payment you paid we accept We accept that payment Come and forgive us set us free from our own condemnation set us free from the condemnation of sin set us free to know that you are indeed a good, good Father. Amen.